total depravity at abortion clinics, sinful patterns of the state and the church, conspiracy theories in the Bible, and the foundations of faith and knowledge all this week on the Think and Reform podcast. podcast with Joel, John, Jim, and Luke. Thanks everybody for listening. Think of Reform podcast where we challenge people to think about the disciplines of life and what the Bible has to say about them and reform those disciplines which are not 100% conformed to the scriptures that we read on a daily basis from the from God's word, the Bible. Thanks everybody for listening. Dad, what do you got for us this week? Yes, just this week I was uh, spending a little bit of time. In fact, uh, two days ago, I was down at a uh, an abortion clinic. I have a hard time saying clinic because a clinic is where you go to uh, get better, not killed. But um, in these clinics, um, half the people that go in um, come out alive. Um, while I was there, I spent some time with uh, some folks from a Reformed Baptist church, and I spent some other folks time with some other folks who are Roman Catholic. Now, um, and they were both out there not mixing, of course. The Reformed Protestants were preaching and talking loudly to people that were coming in. One man sat in his car. Oddly enough, he listened to the uh, preaching uh, with his window open. After a while, he turned up the music and didn't want to hear it anymore. Afterwards, I had an opportunity to speak with some of the uh, Roman Catholics. They had a problem with the preaching. Their idea is that you got to be kind of nice to people. You know, the, the way you, you, know, you attract more flies with honey than with vinegar and all this kind of stuff. And I had a long talk with two of the ladies there. There were a couple things going on. One of the things was go, that was going on was that the, um, the, the, uh, the Protestants had their signs, babies are murdered here. The Roman Catholics didn't like those signs. That's not very nice. Um, what was kind of much nicer was one of the Roman Catholic ladies was standing there with a uh, picture of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and I mean, and I, I'm 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 serious. Uh, that was her protest um, picture of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, I found out that you know I thought the Roman Catholics had a lot of ladies. You know, Our Lady of the Highway and everything. What they educated me was it's all one lady. It's all Mary. I, I I didn't I didn't realize didn't realize that. Anyway, um, I, I I had a chance to reflect on this, and I had an ex- extensive conversation with these with, with these ladies. And what what I uh, of all the things I learned, I, I learned of the difference in understanding the nature of man. Now, a lot of people have problems with um, Calvinists and Tulip, and they don't like some people don't like the idea of starting out with T total depravity. But the Calvinists have, over the years, responded, in my experience anyway, of saying you, you have to start with the nature of the one being saved. Uh, what, what, what is the nature of that person? Can they swim? Do they sink? Whatever. 
And I began to think about this as we as I interacted with these folks, and certainly a little bit later, because if all you have to do is be nice, then man really isn't all that bad. And um, the the idea of preaching to people, which which put them off a little bit, they would be correct if man is broken in the sense that you know he's he's struggling. He just wants to do the right thing and and can't quite get it done. He's you know, he just needs a little help. He needs a little boost, which is why then we we have ceremony. We we help him. We help the person who's just trying to do a better job. Whereas my understanding, the Protestant understanding, is man knows from Romans one. He knows he's broken. He'd rather be broken. He's rebellious. He'd rather be rebellious. Which is why Paul says the preaching of the cross is foolishness. To the ones who are are, are are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the actual power of God. And beyond the discussions we had about Mary and so forth, and we, we, we had that discussion, what underlies it all is an idea or an understanding of who it is that we're trying to save here and what it takes to save that person. We can't do it. The only thing that God has promised actually to, to bless is the preaching of his word, which we admit looks foolish to those who are perishing. And clearly, people going to an abortion clinic to kill somebody certainly appear at this point to be perishing. And so it really came, it it, it just became so strong to me that we have a radically, you know, this is not a small thing here. We have a radically uh, different view of the nature of man. And once you have a different nature, different view of the nature of man what happens next is you have a different view of of god and what what god actually did to save us because if we were actual rebels that's different from saving a person who's it's one thing to save a person who is uh swimming and needs a life jacket you know wants wants to live try saving a person who jumped off the bridge and wants to get, you know, wants to kill himself. That's going to be a different saving operation. All this came extremely clear to me as I was out there in front of an abortion clinic this week, uh, speaking with the Protestants, if you will, and also uh, speaking with a couple of uh, very sincere uh, Roman Catholic ladies. Radically different view, both out in front of the same abortion clinic, radically different view of the nature of man and what it's going to take to put a stop to this uh, this this murderous chain of what uh, since genocide. 1972 mm-hmm. yeah this infanticide thing yeah ex- exactly so I, I when Jim was talking earlier before the podcast started I asked Jim because Jim's a NASCAR fan I said what exactly is the appeal of NASCAR because I, d- I didn't understand it and Jim said well you have you ever been to a race? And I said, well, no. And he said, well, until you've been to a race, you probably never understand the appeal. And I said, okay, that makes a lot of sense, but it also makes it also applies here in this situation when people um, that I see on Facebook and I talk to, um, they watch the videos of people standing in front of abortion clinics, and all they're doing is just preaching the gospel, and they're just shouting at people, right? They're shouting at people, and, and then a lot of times you'll get a, a, uh, some people from a church will come out and say, what are you doing? Well, I'm trying to stop people from from uh, going into the abortion clinic and killing their baby. And a lot of people on Facebook, a lot of people come out and talk to them. Will say like, you know, why don't you have a conversation with them? Why, why are you shouting at them? You know, why don't you just have a conversation? And until you go out into an abortion clinic 
and you see that these people just do not want to have a conversation. It's not, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want anyone to know that they're doing it. Most of them, most of them I say, and uh, there's a, a lot of people who are not, but most of them I think are pretty ashamed about what they're doing. And, and people say, why don't you just talk to them? Jesus had a conversation, you know, and they, and they say, say things like that. They say foolish things like that. Like that's how Jesus did, you know, and forget that they tried to kill Jesus more than once uh, because they got so mad at him. But until you go out to an abortion clinic and you see these people going in there, you can't have a conversation. That's what, you know, that's what everybody wants. What, you know, you, you want to have a conversation with everybody who goes in there. Absolutely. You, do, you want to. You yeah. want to stop and you want to talk to Okay, what yeah. are you doing? You know, you want to have a conversation. Yeah. But you're, they're not going to do that. Yeah. So you have to shout at them. Yeah. And it's not, the, the, it's not, I believe, in the power of the conversation, for it is the power of, of God to salvation, right? right? It's not the conversation. It's the power of the gospel, the gospel message that convicts it. Even if you hear it yeah, over as you're walking in quickly yeah. on a on a on a bullhorn and you hear the gospel message, that's the power. It's not, hey, how's your day going, man? Hey, you want to have a one-on-one conversation, bro? You know, like let's talk about murder, man. You know, no, that's not the power. The power is the gospel message. You, you know, these Facebook warriors that do this kind of stuff, I notice one thing they fail at. They never seem to have a problem with the people yelling at us along the uh, you know. They never want to have a conversation with us, but the Facebook warriors, even the Christians, never seem to have a problem with that. Hmm. I've never seen them complaining about that. Now, what's wrong with you people? Right. We're not supposed to preach the gospel loud, but people can come and yell at us loud. Mm -hmm. And these Facebook warrior types, what a bunch of hypocrites. They better understand that Christ had his harshest words for hypocrites. When we were there, a guy guy went running by. He was jogging, right? Mm -hmm. He started yelling at us. Mm -hmm. I said, hey, come, come on. Stop by, have a conversation. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, come on, let, let, let's talk. Yeah, yeah. He kept on running. Yeah. And kept on yeah. You, you know what? <laughs> and, and and what a hypocrite. He was asking us why we don't have masks on, and he was jogging. <laughs> guess guess what? He didn't have on. <laughs> oh my word! Oh the, my goodness! The point you make about <clears throat> the they don't want to be, they don't want to hear, they don't want to know. They don't want to be saved. The guy that's jumping off the bridge. It really speaks to the eye in the tulip, doesn't it? The irresistible hmm. salvation. Uh, if we're yeah. totally depraved, we better have an. If we have, we better have an eye irresistible. Yeah. It has to yeah. be irresistible. I, yeah. You know, I didn't want it. Yeah. I didn't. You know, I was forty. Nah, nah. nah you don't want me. It, it, but it's irresistible. What? Yeah. And it's one of those things that when God unstops your ears you cannot unhear it yeah you can't unhear it but there has to be somebody out there preaching it yeah somebody has to say it do you remember when we uh went out and protested the drag queen story hour at the uh, the, the library yeah um a group of catholics remember they came out oh, and they yeah. were all well dressed mm-hmm. and um they were all well dressed but they were it was uh you know what was the um uh, in Pilgrim's Progress, who was with formality? It was for, oh, hypocrisy, hypocrisy, form, and formality. For, yeah, yeah, right. So, um, <laughs> the, for, formality. But nothing subtle about John Bunyan. Yeah, <laughs> formalist and hypocrisy. Yeah, formalist. That's what it is. <laughs> right. for, for, hypocrisy has no shot. <laughs> formalist was out there, and and I thought about formalist when I saw those guys. Yeah, they 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 had this well rehearsed thing. Um, where they would get up there and they would unravel a banner and they'd take pictures, lots of pictures of themselves showing up to the Drag Queen Story Hour. And their idea of protesting was getting up and reciting a bunch of stuff, not really engaging anybody. They were not engaging anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and they would just do their thing and then they leave. You know, it was very formal. It was mm -hmm. all formality. Mm -hmm. it was, that's all it was. There was no actual engaging of the gospel. However, I liked the way they did it better than the way the Facebook warriors don't do it. As the, at least they came out. They were there. They were there. Well, I'll tell you what. They, I, I, I like the way they did it a whole lot better than the big evangelical church that's down the street and nobody came. Nobody showed up. Yes. So <laughs> In their defense. Yeah, in their defense. Yeah, Come absolutely. on. They, at least they came out. It's Okay, we can bust on the Catholics and talk about all oh, the Catholics worship the Pope, whatever. But at least they somebody from them came out, where, whereas hardly anybody from the, the Protestant... Protestant, that's her name. Protestant churches. Nobody showed up, which is why I have um, have made a formal request. It, it cannot be uh, answered, but I've I've made a formal request to become a black charismatic pastor, um, <laughs> and he, here's why. Uh, my friend Charles Funvake in uh, South Africa. We've sent him, um, combined with some other folks, to send this book, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates, a hundred copies to Charles in South Africa. Why? Because Charles is telling me that the black charismatic pastors are taken to the streets. They're out protesting in the street. These are pastors in the streets. Mm -hmm. To your point, Jim, we know where our pastors are in our big churches. They're hiding in their ivory tower someplace. Far be it from them to ever get yeah. their hands dirty. And these black charismatic pastors are out there. And Charles told me, he said, he said they know something's wrong but they need theological training. They need to know what the scriptures say to know what is right, So, which is why we, we sent this to them. But these pastors, um, we sent them 100 copies. I just talked to Charles this week. He said the last parade they had, there were 200 pastors out there oh, in the streets. Word. 200. Oh, Could we even find 200 in, in no. um, North America, yeah. for Pete's sake? How about 20? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Including Canada. Um, <laughs> And Mexico. Anyway, probably 20, find 20, more in Mexico. Twenty-one with Canada. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, we know at least we know at least one. There, Pastor, Pastor James Coates, and maybe we'll be able to talk about him later. But my my point is this: I I, I said to Charles when he's telling me who these who these pastors are that are are protesting. Uh, they're black charismatic pastors, and I said to Charles, I said, "Well, how how do I become one of those? I I, I just." There's got to be some kind of method for this, uh, but I have about as much chance of one becoming one as I do of the other, uh, apparently. But to that point that you make there, uh, right, right there, Luke, it is the black the, these these men that we would say um, have doctrine that's that, that's definitely not up to the standards of the scripture. We would say in some areas we would disagree, but their practice, yeah. you know, what are we supposed to do with all these guys who have the right doctrinal statement? But their practice is is, invisible. is, is, is not not existent. Yeah, it's invisible. You, you know, Christ says, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and and don't do the things I tell you to do?" And what good is all this right doctrine we think we have with our doctor saints, our big books, if we don't if we don't do if we don't love our neighbor and fight wickedness every time we see it? What good are we? Yeah, pastors. Amen. Yeah, I think you made a good application there of the doctrine of total depravity and the, the connection that a lot of people fail to make, even people who say they believe in total depravity, they fail to make the connection that total depravity means you have an inability to respond to the gospel without the Holy Spirit enlightening you first. And that the implication that comes with that is that it's God's choice through his Holy Spirit to enlighten you, not your choice to be saved. Because we, we, we make that choice every single day, don't we? You know, without the Holy Spirit. We do make a choice. Yeah. Choice oh, yeah. is always 
Sin. Yeah. First choice is sin 100% of the time. Yeah. Well, and, and when you sent that book down to Africa, Dad, it didn't cost like, we put, sent 100 copies, it didn't cost like thousands of dollars? It cost uh, $1,550 just to send it. For the and, shipping. Um, for the shipping. For the shipping. Shipping. For the shipping. And, um, and we, we and used associated bribes. And yeah, right. Gross. Right, and, that, and that's the cost there because Charles had told me, he said, if you send it through the U.S. mail, he said, it'll take forever to get here. And then when it gets here, I'll have to go into the post office and bribe till I get my, till I get my stuff. And we're not even sure where it is or whatever. So we use UPS, and it got there in like four or five days. But to John's point, they, $1,500 is not shipping costs. I mean, some of it is, but a lot of it is built-in bribes that has to be done in order to t take care of this business. I was talking to Matt, the author of this book, and he said he can send books to Australia further away for 49 bucks. <laughs> wow. So, you know, again, we, 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 we just fail to appreciate the blessings of the gospel. Yeah, that's true. We, we just do. It's true. All right, John, what do you got for us this week? Okay. Um, for the past several weeks, I have been pondering the, uh, the fear of the Lord. It's something that has come up week after week, uh, either in church or elsewhere. And, uh, you know, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. Uh, and uh, as a society, we've abandoned that, uh, that idea that we need to fear the Lord. And we've abandoned the idea uh, that it's the Lord who gives us uh, the definitions of right and wrong. Uh, now, it's a hobby horse that I have pounded on over and over in my writings, and, and I've talked about it a lot. But uh, what has that done to the leadership institutions in our society? Uh, specifically, I've, I've been thinking about schools, uh, civil government, and church. And there, there are a couple characteristics that they all seem to have in common. Um, it comes down to uh, <laughs> perversion, uh, unaccountability, and greed. Uh, let, me, uh, let me go through those. Like for the schools, uh, perversion. Well, we have already talked about the Drag Queen Story Hour uh, in, in this podcast. Uh, the schools have invited drag queens in to the schools to read stories to uh, elementary kids. Well, that, that's just beyond beyond words. Um, perversion, unaccountability. Um, and during our COVID uh, lockdowns, the uh, and, and as the kids were learning at home, uh, the Board of Education of Tennessee was asking parents to. Um, sign a covenant that they would not watch over their kids' shoulders while they were teaching. I remember that. They want to talk about unaccountability. Well, what are they worried about? And just yesterday, I read this. This was from a, a, an email that was sent out in this to uh, the teacher members of the uh, uh, Los Angeles uh, Teachers Union talking to their members who were about to go on vacation and I'm quoting now, friendly reminder, if you're planning any trips for spring break, please keep that off social media. It's hard to argue that it is unsafe for in-person instruction if parents and the public see vacation photos and international travel. Okay. <laughs> Hypocrisy. <laughs> now, but unaccountability. They don't want to be accountable to their own, their own rules. And in greed, I mean, greed unions that the school administrations are in cahoots 
to extort the public. So there you have perversion, unaccountability, and greed in the schools. Uh, the civil government, um, well, you have perversion there. You got a drag queen as the Secretary of Health of Pennsylvania. Um, unaccountability. Congress is constantly exempting itself from the own, from the rules it passes for the rest of us and. Well, greed just kind of goes along with civil government. We don't have to explore that. And in the church, you got perversion, unaccountability, and greed. Perversion. The UCC, the Methodists, and others invite homosexuals into the pulpit for crying out loud. I mean, the Bible, the Bible would not allow that. Um, unaccountability. Have you ever challenged church leadership? Mm. They don't want accountability. Yeah. They, they hate accountability mm. in most mainline churches um they circle the wagons every time and then greed uh i hearken back to uh the book by gilly uh this little church went to market um this is this is a quote uh, uh talking describing that book it says the, the most significant forces pressing against the church are entertainment market driven philosophies and psychology these three are largely absent from the bible yet are startlingly prevalent in evangelical churches. So it, it just struck me that these same three characteristics show up in the institutions that are supposed to be leading us. And that's what I got today. I just, it, it just bugs me that they're so intertwined. I think that's one uh, thing that pastors don't like, you know, talking about being an abortion clinic. They don't like being an abortion clinic. They don't like seeing other people at abortion clinic because it tells them that they're not being responsible, hmm. that other people are doing their job. And I think there's conviction there when they see other people, and that's why they try to, a lot of them I've seen, will go out and try to go out and stop the people from protesting. <clears throat> They'll try to actually say, I, you know, you're know, you not doing anything, nobody's listening to you, just go home. And they're like, what are you? Well, I'm a pastor of a church right down the street. And, and I've seen people be like, it's so sad that I've never seen you here before and that the only reason you're here is to stop me from doing what I'm doing. And that, that conviction, that unaccountability, they hate people. Many of them hate people who go to abortion clinics because it makes them feel like uh, someone else is doing my job, and I, I don't like that. A story to illustrate what you're talking about, about uh, unaccountability. Uh, my brother, this goes back uh, probably 30 years. My brother was a member of a one of the large denominational churches that you're talking about, and he saw in their seminaries a uh, monthly newsletter that they had performed at the site of the seminary, they had performed their first homosexual wedding. So he cut that article out <laughs> and put it on the bulletin board in their church. Well, this resulted in men from the denomination and his pastor coming out and talking to him about it. I suppose it was maybe the beginning of church discipline or whatever because of what he had done. And he simply asked them, he said, are, are, are you ashamed of what you did? And they said, well, no. He said, well, then why are you angry with me that I put it on the bulletin board? And he, he said they were, they were flabbergasted. They didn't know what to say. They had not even thought it through to that, that degree. They're so unaccountable that they, it didn't even occur to them that they needed to worry about that. No fear of the Lord there. No. No. Fear of man, though. Yeah. Oh, baby. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my word. Um, I actually recently shared, talking about the perversion, I recently shared a, um, uh, uh, a quote 
I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to die on this hill, but I believe it's true. And if it's if if it's not verbatim, I believe it's accurate of where we're heading. Um, it's it's a picture of a of drag queen, and he's saying things like, you know, your children aren't as innocent as you think they are. You know, there's many children out there that are inviting us. You know, uh, you know, uh, to do to do things. You so, know, softening us up. Yes, here. yes. So yep. it's so. I mean, it's just like it's just like the. Um, the look, look, guess who's the criminal in this scenario? Yes. This is a call to yes. arms going on here. Yep. yep. Guess who the criminal is? The yes. one who wants to protect the children. Yes. Yep. And and that's that's exactly what's going on. And he's, and he's and it's just like just like the abortion. I keep going back to abortion. But it's just like the abortion debate. Uh, eventually, they're going to come out and say, "Yeah, I know it's a baby, and I don't care." Okay. The the the, the initial arguments of, "Oh, I don't know." It's just a front. Eventually, it's... It, the, the, but you can see that now. I mean, you, you right. there are plenty of videos on Right. That's what I'm saying. We're at that point care. right now. Yeah. We're at that point. I know it's a baby. I'm killing it right now. And, and that's accepted. Okay, That was always the point, right? That was always the goal. And now it is with, with transgenderism. The goal is to get the children. It's pedophile. Yeah. It's pedophilia. Pedophilia. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the goal. And, and, and now it's, it's going to come out soon enough in the whole, like, oh, we just want to be free and... It's gonna. It's just like the abortion debate. It's gonna come out eventually. It, it was never about. I just want to be free. It's. I want the children. Give me the children. And they're, and they're not. Now they're coming out and saying it. They're starting to come out. And, they and are. Say, it's. Say it's it. just a. Uh, it's just a different orientation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, so who are we to say? Yeah. But there is no right and wrong. Yeah. Who are you to say it's wrong? Marquis de Sade had it right all along. That's what they're saying. Who are you to tell me, what's what's right and what's wrong? That's right. I mean, he said, I, I want to torture my wife. And who are you? I, I can do this. Who are you? It's natural. And then he, he, made, he made his 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 comments in the light of what he considered natural law. Yeah. Hey, if uh, it can happen in nature, then it can happen. And there's no moral authority outside of nature to tell me what I'm doing is wrong. So if I want to torture my wife, I mean, the man was a monster. Who are you? To, there is there is no law. It's just a law of power. Then you're just exercising power, but you have no moral authority to tell me not to torture my wife. And this is absolutely necessary when we abandon the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Yes, there, there's yes. no other place yes. to land here. Yep. No, that's it. Sovereignty of man. Hey, <laughs> doing great. Yeah, seventy million dead children. All right, Jim. What do you got for us this week? Well, last podcast, we talked a little bit about the conspiracy theory. And unfortunately, since that podcast, I have had uh, numerous occasions of people throwing that back in my face. Oh, that's a conspiracy theory. So I wanted to come back to that and and talk a little bit about conspiracy theory. Um, Bear with me. I want to read some things here about conspiracies. 2 Samuel 15.12, and Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the the Gileonite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, where he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. 2 Kings 12.20, and his servants arose and made a conspiracy and, and slew Joash in the house of Milo, which goeth down to Silla. Second Kings fourteen nineteen. now they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, 
and he fled to Lake he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and slew him there. Second Kings fifteen fifteen and the rest of these acts of Shelem and his conspiracy which he made, behold they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And Hoshea the son of Elah made a conspiracy against Pekah the son of Ramiah and smote him and slew him and reigned in his stead in the twentieth year of Jotham the son of Uzziah. Second Kings 17.4, And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no present to the king of Assyria. And as he had done year by year, therefore the king of Assyria shot him up and bound him in prison. Second Chronicles 25.27, Now after the time of Azamiah did turn away the, from the following of the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem and fled to Lachish, but they sent to Lachish, they sent to Lachish after him and slew him there. Jeremiah 11.9, And the Lord said unto me, A conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Ezekiel 22.25, There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof like a roaring lion, ravening the prey that they have devoured souls that they have taken a treasure and precious things they have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Acts 23.13 And there were more than 40 years which had made this conspiracy. From Psalm 2 I think that's maybe 40 people in the conspiracy, not 40 years. 40 men. 40, yes, and, there, and they 40. were more than 40 which had made 40, this okay. conspiracy. Thank you. Yep, Good catch. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bounds asunder and cast away their cords from us. Now, the, the, the Bible's full of conspiracy. If... Uh, if you want to get to the bottom of, of things that are going on, you, you have to understand that. Here's a quote from R.J. Rushdoony. While the liberals may view belief in the conspiracy theory of history as absurd, and even as a sign of membership in the lunatic fringe, the orthodox Christian must assert it to be the basic philosophy of history. History, therefore, is not the outworking of impersonal forces, but a personal conflict between the forces of God and anti-God. The Bible as a whole presents a view of history as conspiracy, which Satan and man determined to assert their right to be gods, knowing or determining good and evil for themselves. From the beginning to the end, this is the perspective of Scripture, and only a willful misreading of it can lead to any other position. And finally, from the uh, Faith for All of Life from Chalcedon by Christopher Christopher. Ortiz, conspiracy theories can be exaggerations of reality. Whereas you and I may chuckle at the suggestion that aliens rule the world, it doesn't preclude elite groups from manipulating the centers of world power. Conspiracy theories can be extreme, but to deny these exaggerations any correspondence to the truth is naive and an underestimation of man's sinful capacity. So the point I want to make is that... Um, it's not enough just to say that you need to be open to the possibility of a conspiracy. 
the fact is, from, from the Bible, it's clear that if you want to get to the bottom of anything, that's where you need to start. If you want to understand what's going on in the world and, and what's behind the events that we see, you need to start with asking yourself, like, what's going on behind this? Hmm. And so enough, uh, especially Christians, labeling anything that contradicts the popular beliefs that are spread on the news media as conspiracy theory. That needs to stop. People need to stop labeling things conspiracy theory. Sure, yeah, yeah, there are wild conspiracy theories. We can recognize them. We can weed them out. But, yeah, all, all conspiracy but, but this, theories are not created equal. Can we uh, kind of like agree yeah, on that ex point? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting, the book of Ezekiel, um, when God takes Ezekiel back behind and into the temple, the inner courts of the temple, and see what was really going on. And you find out that the priests, I believe, was the priests that were worshiping something else. They were making yeah. sacrifices to a different God behind right. closed doors, right. whereas out, everyone else, they all thought they were in there worshiping the Lord. Yeah. And that's definitely a conspiracy, you know. I mean, that's, that's exhibit A of a conspiracy. I think, I think, um, yeah, like you said, Dad, not all conspiracies are, are, are made equal. But to say that there's no conspiracy theory going on at all anywhere in the United States government, I think you have to be completely ignorant, completely ignorant. And I think that's an asinine thing to say. There's definitely conspiracy theory going on in the government. And um, the book of Proverbs lays it out that these people get together behind closed doors to talk about how can we shed innocent blood. You know, that's that's definitely going on. I, I, yeah. I firmly, 100%, am willing to die on that hill. People behind closed doors in our government are getting behind, are getting together and saying, how can we shed innocent blood? How can we do it? Well, he, Ortiz Absolutely. says, you know, he calls them naive. And um, for anyone who believes that it's naive to believe in conspiracy, I want to tell you it's naive not to believe in exactly. conspiracy. Do you really believe that suddenly the uh, the attorneys general in New York have not recently discovered that Cuomo has been abusing women? Oh, this just came to light. <laughs> no, yeah, Cuomo has threatened somebody, somebody powerful, and now they're turning the lights on him, and he's being smacked down to his, his right place, and he's going to behave himself. Nothing is going to happen with these investigations about Cuomo. And naive people are saying, oh, look, the truth is coming out about Cuomo. They already knew this. Understand one thing. There's powerful people that you can't see that are pulling strings here. Yeah. And don't think that suddenly somebody said, oh, no, we're really upset because Governor Cuomo has sexual allegations against him. Stop it with that. Yeah. There's people that know what's going on inside. So stop your naivete, open your eyes, read and understand the Bible. It's some years ago that uh, I don't know who it was pointed out that the, the way our government is structured it's psychopaths who rise to the top because yeah. they have no conscience. Yeah. And, you know, so how can we be surprised yeah. that, that these kind of people are there? They may not even necessarily be conspiring, just acting out of their own uh, personal worldviews. They're, they're crazy people. And they have yeah. no conscience whatsoever. Yeah, no conscience. None. So I, I, mean, I, I wonder at people who, who like, uh, you know, poo-poo conspiracies because we've we've had so many that we actually had to come up with a word to talk about the phenomenon <laughs> it's called a gate watergate pizzagate all these different gates are they not every single one of them a conspiracy 
a conspiracy that was brought to light, and we call it a scandal because it was a conspiracy. You know, and and you know, like everyone who's poo-pooing, like we actually have a word to describe massive conspiracies. It's called a gate. You know, I, I actually don't even know where that word came from. To be honest, from Watergate. Yeah, but why was it called Watergate? That was the name of the, uh, the hotel. The hotel that it happened in, oh, which I believe still exists. Yeah, the Watergate's still yeah. there. Oh, oh sure, okay. Yeah. hotel. Okay, but aren't we just talking here about also calling out right and wrong? <laughs> it's it's not necess- it's if people are doing something wrong, they try to keep it quiet. Yeah, it's true. Is that a conspiracy yeah. or is it just human nature? You know, the depraved nature that we were talking about earlier is you, you conspire to keep it from other people. Well, so I, think, other pe- I, I think it's both. I, I think it can go either way. I, I think some a, a lot of things that happen really are conspiratorial in, in, in nature. Uh, in, the, in the sense that it was, it's a planned evil? Yeah, planned or, or maybe cooperation would be a better... A better. Uh, sometimes it's planned. Uh, I mean, if you look at the stakes involved, the, the world power, uh, enormous wealth. Why would, why would wicked people not get together and plan how to how to accomplish that? I mean, yeah. as Psalm two says, as Psalm two says, says Psalm two basically says, "Hey, this is how the world works." Yeah, you're right about that. Wow, I never thought about it like that. This is, this is how the world works. You can't have people in power who hate God not doing conspiracy, according yeah. to some. Well, why would they not? Yeah, yeah, why would they not? We we have that example of uh, Herod and Pilate. I, I think that's that's one of the best things. They hated each other's guts. They were pure humanist guys. And, and humanists, set, basically, their, their approach is, worship me, I'm God. And everybody's a little miniature God, which is why humanism can never, ever work, because everybody has to be worshipped, right? So Herod and Pilate, two power guys, right, hate each other's guts. But when it came to Christ, Best now friends. suddenly we're buds. Yeah. We're buds now. <laughs> yep. but you guys just, you just also said about why would they not? Is that not what we find ourselves living in right now? You know, we dare you to stop us. Why would we not steal an election? Why would we not lock people in their homes? Why would we not, you know, uh, send perverts into the schools? Well, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, it's all over. Yeah. It's all, uh, uh, with Easter coming up, we're, we're soon to be reminded of one of the grandest conspiracies ever with sure. Judas that sent our Lord to the cross. Mm. That was a classic, version, a, a classic example of a conspiracy. Oh, word, yeah. They, they, they were constantly trying to figure out how to capture him, but they, in such a way that the people themselves wouldn't rebel against them. Mm-hmm. Constantly. Said mm-hmm. they wanted to kill him, they feared the people. And Christ pointed out, and think about this, Christ pointed out their conspiracy on multiple occasions, on multiple occasions, especially in the book of John. He says, but you are trying to kill me. And of course they deny it. They mm-hmm. say, they call him demon-possessed. For, for saying that he, he's trying to kill, he said it anyway because he wasn't trying. He was not trying to appeal to their common sense and logic. Uh, it made no common sense to kill their Messiah, but it made sense to them. Understand that. And so when Christ says you're trying to kill me, he's just he's just pointing out the truth, even if. And this goes back to what we we're talking about here about preaching. Our job is to point out what's true even if they don't believe it. And that's, that's yeah. what the enemies of Christ are actually mm-hmm. saying to us. You're only allowed to point out what's true as long as it's accepted by people who want to kill us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Well, for my selection this week, I uh, recently uh, came across uh, somebody who I have uh, a lot of respect for. His name is uh, Dinesh D'Souza, who is a right-wing political commenter or commentator, however you want to phrase it. And um, I love his work in the Q&As when people come up and ask him questions because he, he really hates communism um, and, and socialism, and he, he does a really great job of exposing it. I think his allegiance is ultimately to the Republican Party. Okay, I don't think he's, uh, I'm all about Christ and his word. I think he's, I think he, his foundation is weak, if he even has one. And he, um, you know, he, he says such tremendous things like the one guy in the Q&A comes up to him and, hey, why, um, you know, we, we should be sacrificing, uh, you know, white people should be sacrificing for people of color to get into college, right? You know, we, I mean, we should, be, we should be taking money from the rich to give to the poor who are always minorities. And that's the respect that they have for minorities who are always poor. And, um, you know, he was saying that to Dinesh, who is a minority. And Dinesh gets right up there and says, you're a hypocrite. And the guy's like, oh, no, I'm not a hypocrite. And he says, no, Dinesh is, no, you're a hypocrite because you're here at college. And you did not give up your seat for a minority to be here. You know, you are a hypocrite. And, and he just wasted him in front of everyone. <laughs> just completely wasted him. And he got to the heart of the matter of all these social justice warriors who are completely okay with taking money from other people, but they will never lift a hand or sacrifice their money to help other people. It's always the rich people, and always it's always good for someone else, never good for me. So Dinesh does a great job with that. But unfortunately, um, you know, he, he makes books and stuff like that, and he's always talking about how bad the Democrats are. And, dude, come on, you're a Republican. You know how bad the Republicans are, too, okay? Can we talk about that? He made a video talking about why, you know, he's a Christian, he's in a, and um, he talks about his Christianity. Um, but this is one reason why I appreciate Cy Ten Bruton Kate and Greg Bonson so much. Because I kind of, in the back of my mind, I was kind of making peace with this argument that he's about to present here. I was making peace with that until I heard those guys, and they kind of blew it out of the water. So I want to play this, and I want to talk about what he has to say. I'll cue it up right now. And here we go. So a belief is something that you hold, uh, but it stops short of knowledge, which is something that you know definitively and for sure and without a shadow of a doubt. If religious believers truly knew for sure based on reason alone, there would be no room for faith. In fact, Jesus' command to have faith, that faith is really what saves us, would become meaningless because it doesn't take any faith for me, me to believe in trees. It doesn't take any faith for me to believe in my wife standing right here in front of me and producing this podcast. Uh, I don't have to believe in Debbie. Why? Because I know her. She's right here. Belief is one step short of knowledge, and it creates room for faith. Now, you might say, Dinesh, well, if that's the case, why believe anything? Why, do you, why don't you just wait until you have knowledge? And the reason is that when it comes to some issues and life after death is one of them, you can't have full knowledge. You never will. There's no amount of scientific experiments that you can do, not just in the past or now, but even in the future, that could establish whether, whether there is, you might say, another world behind the world and a destiny beyond the grave. There is no way to know such things. And so it was the philosopher Immanuel Kant who said, where reason cannot go, Belief is not irrational. 
belief is not irrational. Why? Because it is superstitious to believe in things when reason can contradict them. And so, for example, if I say, for instance, that there are people walking around on this earth who have four eyes, that's verifiable. We can go around and check out every single human on the planet and see if there's one with four eyes. That can, that's refutable. But can you refute the idea that there's life after death? No. There's no amount of evidence that you can produce. And in fact, you don't have any. And neither do I. This is in the realm of pure belief. So, bottom line, why do believers believe at all? You might say if they can't be sure, what, what good does it do them? What's the point of it? Well, number one, belief in God helps to provide an explanation for the universe, for why there is a universe, for what purpose we have in life, for why there is a moral order, for why there's right and wrong, and why this knowledge of right and wrong seems somehow embedded in us. And it's not an extension of Darwinian survival or self-interest. In fact, our conscience usually militates against it. Belief in God gives us a ground for hope that when we lose loved ones, we might see them again, that we might have a destiny that goes beyond the grave. And finally, the reason people believe in God and the reason I believe in God is quite simply because of the experience of God. Okay, and, and that's just a clip from um, a video he made. Um, and there's, there's, there's a lot of truth in there of what he said. There's, there's a lot of truth. But I, I want to I talk about some, some foundational um, presuppositions or truth claims that he makes in there that I think are just, I, I think are very flawed. And I think the reason I talk about this is because I believe many Christians believe this way. This is, this is a great explanation for many Christians out there. That they would agree 100% with this. Um, I've seen the meme being shared. I don't believe in God because um, of A, B, C, and X, Y, Z. I believe in God because of the I experience God. Okay, so I'll, I'll talk about that first. Where he says I believe in God because of the experience of God, and th that you know that's that's not why you believe in God because you experience God. I'll tell you that right now. If you do believe in Christ, a consistent Calvinist will say I believe in God because of the Holy Spirit, the irresistible grace. That's why I believe in God. I did not write reason my way to God. I didn't sit down and think about well, you know, I think it's an idiotic statement at the end of the day when we when we give respect to that statement of the, of, um, I forget who it was, who, the guy who said, I spent all my life learning and living and all this stuff, and I can only tell you two things. There, um, there is a God and I am not him. And I think that's when I was like, oh, wow, that's so amazing. When we have God's word clearly saying there is a God, his name is Jesus Christ, you know, and, and, and a whole lot more truth than just there, there is a God and I am not him. Okay, that, I don't have any respect for that statement because there's a lot more in uh, in the bible saying more than just that the bible doesn't just say that and it's pretty obvious especially from creation that it's more than there is a god and i'm not uh, i'm not him now he said something in there that he said well i you know uh faith is one step short i mean belief is one step short of knowledge i completely disagree with that i completely 100 percent disagree with that the found people think that the foundation of faith is knowledge no, the foundation of knowledge is faith. If you don't have your faith in the right thing, then you don't know what knowledge is. If you don't have your faith in Christ and his word, you can't give a logical explanation of knowledge. You, you can't. Most Christians think, well, if I see God and if I experience him, that gives me knowledge, therefore I believe. That's not how it works. You have faith that comes from a source that's outside of yourself, and therefore you know. You know, Peter talks about um, uh, uh, add to faith, goodness and then from there 
knowledge. So we start with faith, and from faith we get knowledge. And and his him saying, well, I you know obviously I can see my wife. She's standing right there. I can see a tree. No, no, because that's you're 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 using Christian presupposition. You're using the work that Christians have established before you to 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 know that that's a tree and that you can see your wife. Because there are many societies out there that can't explain a tree that I can see it. They can't say they can't give you an illogical explanation of how you can see a tree. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, the Vikings, um, they uh, would I, I believe this is a true tradition. There was, uh, you know, the 13th warrior. There was a scene in there where a boy comes to a camp and he stands out there in front of the camp of other Vikings and sits there for a couple of hours. And everyone kind of looks at him and glances up and nobody talks to him. And then uh, the main character says, what's going on here? You know, some people, he's just sitting out there not doing anything. And his interpreter said, well, he's being polite. He's giving other people the time to know that he's real. Right, because there's strange things in the mist. He might be fake, so he's being polite by standing there and saying, "I'm real, I'm not going anywhere." And that was their explanation of how he could be real, right? But they couldn't explain how he's real outside of their own eyeballs, right? So we don't know, you know, his 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 assertion that I know because I can see. There's many atheists out there saying we don't know because we can see. Just because I can see, we could all be in the matrix. You might not be real. You know, we, do, we can't explain logic. We, we don't go to our senses and our reasoning for the foundation of knowledge. We go to the Word, Word of God. We go to the Bible. And, and I, I, I think it's wrong to, um, I think it's wrong to build your foundation of your faith on what I can see, on what I experience. That would be rationality and empiricism, right? On what I, right? I, empirical data. And the Bible constantly is, is not, never going back um, as the foundation um, of, of belief, it doesn't go back to what you can see. It goes back to what the Word says. And I heard J.I. Packer make this point. I believe it's Packer, and I agree with him. That, that this, this transformed a lot of my philosophy and theology. But he said that when Peter was making the argument, talk about Peter again, he was making the argument about, um, I was there on the hill. We saw Jesus transform. We heard the voice. We heard the voice. We saw the whole thing. I was there with James and John. But then he says after that, right after that, we have something even better, better. than that. And that's the Old Testament. Okay, and the, the context was the Old Testament, but I believe it's you know from, from Genesis to Revelation. But something that's better than seeing Jesus Christ transformed is the more prophetic word. We have the more, we have something even better than that. It's the Bible. And I think Dinesh is making a big mistake when he says, concludes that faith is one step short of knowledge. I believe it's the opposite. Knowledge is one step short of faith. And um, we, we know, um, I was listening to a Bonson uh, Sproul debate, debate. I didn't even know they did this. Did you yeah. hear that, Dad? I did, I did know that. Okay, yeah. I listened to yeah, it. I, I, Sproul came up kind of short in that uh, debate. I believe he did yeah. um, because he asked this question, how do you know that the Bible is the Word of God? We don't know. We believe. And then we know. The foundation of us knowing that the Bible is the Word of God is not built on knowledge. It's built on faith. It's not knowledge that overcomes the world. It's faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would I would like to comment on that a little bit. A couple things on that point. First of all, um, Bonson was always big on the transcendental argument. Yeah. Well, if you say I believe in God because I experience Him, that doesn't transcend anything. The atheist sits back there with his arms folded. Well, I don't believe in Him because I haven't experienced Him. Now he has. He's lying, but he's able to come back easily. But and, and if all you can say is why well, have the experience? Well, sorry, you don't. Now we have a standoff. We don't have anything that transcends. The, uh, the, the, the the situation between the two. Interestingly enough, C.S. Lewis made the exact same point that actually Bonson makes, and you're making today, back in the 40s. And it's, it's the same point, and I, I, want, I want to refer to it here. He's talking about people that, that challenge miracles and their belief in the senses. And really, that's what um, Dinesh D'Souza is saying. I believe my senses. My senses can't be wrong. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, Lewis is going to, is going to um, uh, talk about this. He says, We can always say we have been the victims of an illusion. If we disbelieve in the supernatural, this is what we always shall say. Hence, whether miracles have really ceased or not, they would certainly appear to cease in Western Europe as materialism became the popular creed. For let us make no mistake, if the end of the world appeared in all the literal trappings of the apocalypse, if the modern materialist saw with his own eyes the heavens rolled up, and their great white throne appearing, if he had the sensation of being himself hurled into the lake of fire, he would continue forever in that lake itself to regard his experience as an illusion and to find the explanation of it in psychoanalysis or cerebral pathology. Experience by itself proves nothing. Hmm. If a man doubts whether he is dreaming or waking, no experiment can solve his doubt since every experiment may itself be part of the dream. Experience proves this, or that, or nothing, according to the preconceptions or faith we bring to it. Oh, man. Yeah. I've never this seen is... somebody like, like C.S. Lewis so black and white on yeah. so many things. Like, he nails some things over here, and then he gets some, yeah. some things wrong. What were you saying? <laughs> Sorry. The, there's a book called uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, which I always, I, I hate the when people bring it up, because... It's the essence of what we're saying here is that I'll be the judge yeah. of whether God exists. And that's just not that's not where we start. We can't start there. I'll judge whether God exists based on the evidence. It, you cannot have an evidentiary faith. You either have faith because God gave it to you, and then it's all true, and then it, it's all opened up, and the scales are removed, and the plugs are removed from your ears. It's not evidentiary. We can't judge God. Yeah, this is a, a big deal here, John, because one of the things that is our job, I believe, to do with the unbeliever, and they hate it when we do this, we point out to them they have faith just like we do. Oh, yeah. They, they have all kinds of faith. We all have faith. Once we get there, now we can talk about what justifies our faith. Yes. Yeah. Right. Knowledge is justified, true belief. Uh, and the word, key word in there is belief. Yeah. Justify true belief. Faith. Yeah, faith. And, and that's why the, the atheists don't know what knowledge is, and that's why the Christians do, because the foundation of our knowledge is faith, and the foundation of their faith is knowledge. And they don't right. know what knowledge is. They can't explain it right. because their faith is in the wrong thing. Yeah, which is why um, I know I pick on Neil deGrasse Tyson all the time on this point. He was actually just talking about him in this. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's, that, that's yeah. my favorite target because he's, he's come out and said, and he's so easy, he's come out and said there's only probably a, a 40% chance that we exist, right? <laughs> but he's convinced that Moses didn't exist. 
Well, I don't know how helpful your your, your point is. If you're like not convinced that you exist, <laughs> thanks a lot. Um, I think I'm going to stop listening now. But the point is for for me is that Neil deGrasse Tyson has all kinds of faith and all in all kinds of things that happened before he was born. And even if he believes his experiences, that's that's a matter of faith. Yeah. You have to have faith. Dinesh D'Souza has to, has to have faith that his senses aren't lying to him. You you cannot exist. I don't care if you're the world's rankest, staunchest atheist. You can't exist without faith. Mm-hmm. N- I, not for a moment. And, yeah. and and they all have it. They all have it. They either have the wrong right object, God, or the wrong object, man. Yeah, and I I, I, I talk about this. I, I think about this a lot because that's one reason why I love the movie The Matrix. For for I had so many reasons I love that movie. But one of it is I think is it's 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 a existing challenge to the atheist to prove that we're not in this simulation right now. They always talk about it all the time. Yeah, could we be in the matrix? Yes, we could be, right? So it's an existing challenge to them to prove that we're not in the matrix right now. But it's a challenge to the worldview and, and, and shows how absurd the worldview is at the end of the day because they think it's a possibility that this could be all a simulation. And without the Bible, that's the, your kind of faith. That's where it leads you. Could this all be fake? Yeah. And, and many of them are saying it probably is fake. You know everything. We probably are in a simulation, but that's what <laughs> I love Neil about. Tyson. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I love about the Matrix because it, it shows the absurdity of the application of atheism. Mm-hmm. That this is actually possible for the rest of us Christians watching it. This is a movie, and it's and it's a funny idea. It's a great idea for a movie, but you know I'm 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 gonna get up and I'm gonna live like I'm am not in a simulation. That rape is wrong. That that murder is wrong. No matter what anybody says, I don't care if we're in a simulation or not. That's irrelevant. There's right and wrong out there. And I can prove to you, yes, that we're not in a simulation. But I think that's why one of the reasons I love that movie, because the atheists can't disprove that we are in a simulation. Mm-hmm. And without that movie, we w- I don't think we'd be talking about it as much as we would be. But that's one reason I love that movie. None of this is to say that there's no place for evidence, right? No, of course and, not. And, no. In, in other words, no. there's no need to pit faith against evidence. No, you're right. Exactly. No, but faith explains evidence. Right. Yes. Is, is, yes. Is, is what yes. it does. It's the perspective that's... Yep. Yes. Yeah. I, I, and what I'm trying to get at here is the foundation. I'm trying to get mm-hmm. to, to the bottom. Christ is the cornerstone, right? I'm trying to get to the bottom of the bottom. And people... It's like a, it's like a building. People rest their argument on the first floor. You, haven't go, there's, you can go further down. There's mm-hmm. further down. The, the evidence, to me, is the first floor. Is it part of the building? Yes. Is it a good part of the building? Yes, it's the first floor. But you haven't gone to the foundation. Yep. The foundation yep. is faith. The foundation is God's word. The foundation is the Holy Spirit. The foundation is Christ. And, and and for us to build upon the first floor without establishing the foundation is dangerous. The building is going to collapse. Yeah. And, and there was the flaw with what D'Souza said. Yes, that's exactly what it was. The flaw was he was building his, his house on the, first say, floor. on the first floor, without going down to the foundation, without establishing the foundation. Yeah, yeah I, I want to address that a little bit because um, Paul uh, gets thrown off of Mars Hill because I want to talk about evidence and faith. Okay, and we have the evidence, and that is the resurrection. That that is the evidence, and that's the evidence that he brought up on on Mars Hill. At that point, they throw him out. Now that is very intriguing to me because. It, you know, people, unbelievers talk about evidence all the time. Paul then brought up the evidence of Christ having risen from the dead. 
something that was known, something even his enemies knew, because they had to come up with a conspiracy to tell people that his disciples came and stole the body. They had to conspire with their deadly enemies, the Roman soldiers, to to point out to people, yeah, yeah, his disciples came and stole the body, right? Okay, and so then Paul brings up that particular evidence. They don't want to believe that evidence because their faith commitment would not allow them mm. to see the evidence. Mm. And that's what even um, uh, C.S. Lewis is saying here. Your preconceptions, your faith commitment, disallows you from seeing obvious evidence. And I always get a kick out of the whole Paul, Paul thing of Mars Hill. I, I won't dwell long on this. I know it's something I probably say a lot. But it's an amazing thing. Paul, the apostle, probably the most commented on, probably the most discussed author who's ever lived and those geniuses on Mars Hill, the smartest people in Greece at the time, call them a babbler, throw them out, and we don't even know their names. Yeah. Now you got to think about that. These <laughs> geniuses that come up against God and his word and his spokesmen, they're going to be like the chaff the wind drives away. Hmm. We don't even know or care who they are. Meanwhile, they toss off a of Mars Hill, the man who's probably the most commented on and read in all of history. Wow. And it, it, the other thing about about trying to trust your senses is that the logical extension of that is that you can't know anything unless you've seen it. So throw out all your history, throw out all the experiments that he was talking about, because unless you did the experiment, you didn't see it. Now you're believing, you have belief in somebody else's report. You have faith. Yes, the the chain of, (laughs) of where that goes is bottomless. It's bottomless. Yes, it's turtles all the way down. That's right. And if, like I said, if you're not building, if you're not building your house on the rock, the foundation, yeah, you're you're, you're building it on the sand, and it's and it's going to collapse eventually. Yeah. Now, to, not to say that evidence can't be used, like you said, Jim. Obviously, evidence is a good thing. It is a good thing. It can be used. Have people been brought to the Lord with evidence? Yes, but they eventually. Every Christian moves off of evidence as the foundation of yes. their faith. Eventually, they're going to be moved. They might have been brought in on the first floor, but eventually, they're going to go check out the foundation. Yes, and that's that's where they're going to start building. So they from. can believe their evidence. Yes, they can believe their evidence consistently. So, I mean, the Bible's word of God. It's it's true. Show them, uh, show them thy truth. Thy word is truth. John seventeen. Well, folks, that's all we have this month. Thanks everybody for listening to the Think and Reform podcast. We trust that you, too, will also go out into the world and challenge every lofty idea that presents itself against the wisdom of God and think and reform. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time.